Just a reminder that we recorded this episode when Mr. Cleverly was Foreign Secretary, before he became Home Secretary, where I'm sure his office is just as nice. Thank you for listening. Today's podcast is sponsored by Genesis Care, national independent cancer care provider and experts in breast health, diagnostics and treatments. Hello, welcome to And Then Came Breast Cancer, the podcast for everyone whose life has been touched by the disease. I'm Victoria Derbyshire, and my world changed back in 2015 when I was diagnosed. And this is the third series of the podcast for everyone whose lives have also been changed too. It was created by the Future Dreams Breast Cancer Charity, and we've even won a Gold British Podcast Award along the way. You may be able to hear that we're not in our usual studio today. We are in a very large, stunning, gilt and green, elegant room in the Foreign Office, in the heart of central London. This is a George Gilbert Scott building, which dates back to the 1860s. And it's got such a high ceiling, hence you might be able to sort of hear the echoey atmosphere. And the reason why we're here will become clear in just a moment. This episode, this edition, is about the challenges that a relationship can face when a breast cancer diagnosis comes along. Doesn't matter how long you've been with someone, how solid your partnership is, cancer will always be a challenge and throw up things that perhaps you've never had to navigate before. As always, I'm going to ask our guests to introduce themselves. Uh, Welcome both of you. Hello. Hello, hello. I'm Susie Cleverly. I'm wife of James Cleverly, the Foreign Secretary, and I um, was diagnosed with breast cancer in December 2021. Welcome. And I am James Cleverly. I am the husband of uh, Susie Cleverly, who has uh, spent much of the last couple of years being treated for breast cancer. And in my spare time, I'm the Foreign Secretary of the United Kingdom. It's around two years since your diagnosis, Susie. How are you? I'm good. I'm much better now. I'm beginning to feel more like me again. I'm, I'm almost back to, back to me, which is fabulous. Really good. And how are you? Uh, yeah, good. And I suppose one of the things that, that, that might keep coming up today is how like, my mood and my outlook on life is, is, is really interwoven with Susie's and seeing her, you know, with energy again and, and, and able to, you know, do all the things, no, actually not quite all the things, but many of the things that we were doing before. Um, yeah, I find that liberating as well. Okay. That's interesting. Liberating. That's such a, an uplifting word. I mean, did you, did you think you'd be using that kind of adjective, you know, when the diagnosis came? I don't know. It's no. Actually, what I was talking about. No, um, I don't think we. Well, I didn't think that far ahead. You know, I always just thought in the moment, in the in the day or in the hour. Couldn't really think much further along the road than that. Um, I didn't want to. I didn't. You know, I couldn't for my own mentality. And I think. I, th- I think I, I had to do largely the same thing. And I think the combination of of work and uh, Susie's diagnosis and, and treatment meant that 
on the, on the one level as you do with, I suppose not just a job like mine, but with many, many, many jobs, you have to think ahead. And I think mentally I was thinking ahead and planning ahead, but emotionally it was much more, yeah, day, day, day to day. Your job you had to plan, but this bit, the, the me bit, we couldn't plan because we just didn't know what was going to happen. So it was very much, for me, it was hour by hour, just getting through, you know what it's like when you have chemo and you're feeling horrific. I would just go to bed and sleep, try and get that horror away and see what see how I feel when I woke up and then get through that bit. So my head, I didn't have any headspace to think about what James was doing, what I would be doing tomorrow, next week, or anything like that. So thought of being liberated at the end, I just that wasn't even anywhere sure. near my head. <laughs> Before this diagnosis came along, how would you say you supported each other, whether it's professionally or with the kids or generally together? <laughs> Why are you laughing? Because <laughs> I... I'd like, I want to get in first. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> this has been, I think, um, one of the things that really strucks, has really struck me is that everything changes when you get the diagnosis, when you go through treatment, everything changes, but not all for the worst, frankly. And I look back now and, you know, I'll say this about Susie so she doesn't have to say about herself. She, she has been and always has been absolutely amazing in supporting me in my career and my aspirations. And that has been compromises. And I know there are things that, had I been in a different world or a different business, Susie would have been able to do differently. Um, and, you know, without, yeah, without complaining, she's always been incredibly supportive. In hindsight, I'm not always completely convinced I've been as supportive back again in terms of, you know, um, just the hours that I've been away and the things that Susie has has done for the entire family, me included, and and the and the boys, that I could and should have done more to do. Um, and then when yeah, when suddenly you you're staring down the barrel of of of, of losing the person that you you know love and lived with, you order everything, and um, and some of it is stuff that people talk about a lot you know, love and time together and that kind of stuff. But some of it is just like how much I've been around, how much I do, how much I found myself relying on Susie for just, you know, logistical stuff. Um, and so, yeah, that, that was a real eye-opener and something that I think has, I, I, I've been forced by circumstances to revisit. And I'm, and I'm glad that I have done and hope I'm, you know. I think absolutely, I th Although that is very candid of you, I have to say. How I was do you, hoping you were going to disagree. But. How do you respond, no, Susie? Before we, you know, we did, you were around more because you weren't foreign secretary before I was diagnosed. You were so, for, just to let our listeners know, you were a minister in the foreign office. Minister of State, yeah. yeah. Um, and your boss was Liz Truss. She was the foreign secretary. That's right, yeah. Yeah, and so he was, he was still busy, mm. really busy and, and travelling, but I saw more of you then. But now... Since the diagnosis, when I see you, I see, you know, you're more present, if that makes sense. You know, you make the most of every minute that we have. We do more things together. We just, do, do you know what I mean? Does that make, 
Did you feel? Yeah, that? I, yeah. The, um, the time you have with me, you're, you're more. You, 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 we talk more. We go on dog walks together. We we just do more things. Mm. Whereas before, you'd be there, but you, we wouldn't be, you know, walking together. I'd mm. go off and do my thing. You'd mm. do your thing, and we'd cook. When we're together now in the kitchen, we're chatting. We're doing things together. You know, it's more. Mm. I think I think realizing there is a difference between being in the same place and being together. Yeah. Totally. Um, and um, I think that's, that, that's something that, and of course, I, I, it's not just one way to try, I'm not doing it for Susie's benefit. Uh, um, it's a reminder that I enjoy it. That's why we're together. I, I enjoy being with Susie. Um, and, and so I'm, I feel I'm making the most out of the time where I'm not working. Mm. I think it's forced uh, a, a discipline on me. So when I work, I work hard and I focus very hard on work and it's an important job that I love. But when I'm not working, and that doesn't always mean like at work, it's not a physical thing, but sure. when I'm not working, I'm much better at not working. Yeah. Even if it's only for small gaps. Understood. I can, I can mentally press a button to say, mm. right, I, I'm not going to think about work for the next couple of hours. Mm. I'm going to be with Susie or I'm going to help do this or, or whatever. In yeah. the moment. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. You just used a chilling phrase, which was when you're looking down the barrel because you think you might lose the person you love. There is a period between being diagnosed with cancer and then finding out, which could be days, weeks later, whether it's treatable or not. In that period, what were your emotions, Susie? What were you thinking? Gosh. Um, initially, the day I found out, I cried a lot. And then it was kind of disbelief. As there were so many emotions. It was, you know, is this really happening? And then it didn't take long to just think, well, it is what it is. There's nothing I can do about this. I've just got to go with it. So I say to everybody, it's like getting on a roller coaster. You just get on and you go with it and don't try and fight it because if you fight it, that's when you're going to get hurt. So the, the waiting was really long. <laughs> it felt like forever, didn't it? And I can't remember how long it was that we waited until I had the actual diagnosis. Um, but the emotions were up and down at that point. And were you with me when, when, we, when I actually got the... Were you with me? I said, James had COVID around that time. Right. So I think my sister came with me when he said that the whole thing is, I will be, you know, the aim is to cure me. Were you in that? I can't remember. Oh, God, this is, I kind of I'm wish kind of I kept some me. more detail. Uh, no, I, under, I, I, I totally get it. There's so much information yeah. to take in, isn't there? That, yeah. Um, but that was, a, that was a kind of, I don't think I was like, woohoo. I was like, okay, fine. Yeah. What's the plan Let's now? Let's crack on. And then he was brilliant because he, he drew a timeline and said, we're going to be doing this, 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 this. Now I just get on and do it. And that was kind of my attitude. And I, at, you know, at that point, I'd put all the thoughts on the worries, everything like that had gone. Yeah. I'm just going to get on and do it. Yeah. You know, whatever the outcome is, You're the outcome. on that treatment pathway. Exactly. There's and nothing that, I can do except do as I'm told. Can I, I, I want to ask you, and it's brutal, and I'm asking because uh, I 
had this thought and I had conversations about this with my then partner, we're now married. Did you think you were going to die? Did you think you were one of the unlucky ones? I think I had a moment where I thought it could happen to me and I thought about my children and James and I think we had a conversation. If anything happens to me, look after the kids, just whatever, put them first, that's it. And then you were very much like, that's not going to happen. That's exactly what Mark did with me. And then from that moment on, I'm like, no, that's not going to happen. And live for the moment. Just enjoy every minute because if today is the last day, make it a good day. So from then on, I think that's how I looked at it and just, you know, just enjoyed Mm. every second I had with, with all of them. What was that like for you, the period when you're waiting to find out if your wife's cancer is treatable? Yeah, if she's going to survive. Yeah, it's quite... So looking back, so in the, in the films, <laughs> so we're a real filmy family, so I keep finding myself making references to how life is versus how film life is. And of course, you know, they're not similar, really. And of course, in films, there's the moment, and it's a big scene, and it's a big emotional scene, is the moment where it's the definitive. And of course, in the real world, it's, it's not like that. It's always progressive. So the, so the first time that the word cancer was, was used, Susie, Susie rang me, I was, I was, as I said, I was a minister, I was heading into work. On the train. I was on the train. Susie rang and said, I've been to the GP and, I, and, and, and he, he said I should get, I, I, I need to be referred because he thinks it might be cancer. So it's the first time the word was used on the first day that Susie saw her GP. And that was, that was, like, a, that was like a punch, it was like being hit by a train. Um, and then there was like a whole series of kind of like little, not announcements, but, but so it was, then there was the, a point where it was confirmed that it was cancer, but not sure how much or whatever. No, no, not confirmed. It was like it, probably, and then almost certainly, and then, and, but we don't know what type. And then, so you get these lots of little bits and, and it got to the stage where, as I say, I know it sounds ridiculous. I can't remember the point at which, various things were confirmed. I know, I, I particularly remember one meeting with the oncologist, Mark, the oncologist, who was fantastic. And this was some weeks, don't know how many, after the initial GP, this is probably cancer message, where he basically said, this is what it is. This is the type of cancer. This is why it's happening. We understand why it's happening. We know how to stop it from happening. Our plan is to, is to cure you so you no longer have cancer. Um, our plan is for you to live a full life after. And he, and he went through that. And at that point, I had the emotional release. Up until that point, it's been weeks. It was just something you do, like making time. Can I, can I fit in? Can I go to that appointment with Susie because I've got that meeting with that ambassador? Can I do that? And it was just logistics. And I didn't really think about it. And I, maybe I was compartmentalizing it. Maybe, I don't know. But it was at that point that it really first struck me. First point since that initial phone call where I actually thought about it. And when you say an emotional release, what, what, what does that mean for you? What does it look like? 
I was just a massive amount of relief. Crying. You won't need to cry. Sorry. Well, was it was it really crying? Or, <laughs> yes, or did do. I have some dust in my eyes? I mean You were crying. I well, think I think your word against mine. I think I think you're allowed to cry when yeah. you find out that your wife's cancer is treatable. Yeah, and that was seriously. The thing. Yeah, that was that was that was the thing that was um and like and so Mark, but not not just him, so many so many of the professionals were so professional. Mm. Not, and I'm not going to say dispassionate, because that, that's that, that is not quite the right word, but I can't quite think of a better word. They, they, were, they weren't emotional. Mm. They were incredibly professional. Uh, and that level of calm professionalism was just so reassuring. Yeah. It's interesting that, Susie, when you rang your husband on that first day of seeing the GP, and I'll ask you about how you discovered your symptoms in a moment, you used the word cancer. But I gather when you rang your colleagues at work to say, I'm turning round because of a phone call I've had for my wife, you couldn't use the word cancer to them. Is that correct? Yeah. So it was, it was, it was a weird sensation. I was on, um, I was on the train. I was traveling from our, from our London. So we, we'd come back from the constituency. So I was already in our Essex. London place in North yeah. Essex. So I was on the suburban train going to Charing Cross um, and I was somewhere between, uh, I was just outside London Bridge. And um, Susie called me. I then called my civil servants to basically say, I'm, I'm, I need to go home. Um, and I said, yeah, my wife has been to the GP and they think it might be. And I got that far. I just couldn't, I just couldn't speak. I couldn't make the words come I couldn't make any words come out. Um even to say that I can't speak, it was, you know, I, so in the end, I, I hung up and I sent a, um, a WhatsApp message to my uh, private secretary and I, and I had to, I had to text it because I couldn't, I just couldn't make the words come out. I then came back to our um, London house, maybe what, 30 minutes later, 30 minutes to calm down, rang him again, still couldn't say it. Wow. Why do you think that was? I think... I think saying it out loud makes it more real. Um, and I don't know whether I'm, like, over in, overanalyzing, overinterpreting, but... But, you know, thinking about it and saying it should be the same. Um, but it, it really, it really wasn't. I, I just, I, and also I, at that point, it, you have, you know, you're going to be cured, you're going to die. And we didn't know which bit of that um, theme I was on. Mm. And I think mentally I was, I'm going to die a bit. And I think you might have been too. We didn't know, the, you know, along the scale where I was going to be. Turns out it wasn't that end. I was further th that end. Mm. And so mentally you kind of think, oh, mm. it yeah. could be, which is probably why. This podcast is really practical. Um, I pick up from you that you're a pragmatic woman. I wonder if you could just explain to our listeners how you discovered what you thought might be cancer and what kind of cancer it was. What, and, um, you know, was it a lump? Was it uh, more diverse, et cetera, et cetera? I was just about to have a shower one morning um, in Essex, I'd got up early, I can't remember, I think it was Remembrance Weekend, so it was quite a busy weekend. We'd we'd been out the night before, we were going off to do some various things, 
And so got up early, had to get the dogs walked first. So I was tired. I was waiting for the water to get hot in the shower. And I was literally about to get in the shower, so I had no clothes on. But I did an almighty stretch because I was so tired and leant right back. And in front of me, there was a mirror. And as I came out of my stretch, I saw in front of me, underneath my right breast, this dimpling of the skin. And I was like, oh, hang on a minute. That's not right. Um, So I went straight into James and said, have you seen this before? He was like, no. And I knew that that was a sign because a friend of mine had had breast cancer a few years before and she'd made me sort of check and and I'd looked on Google for for how to check and what signs to look out for. So I knew puckering, dimpling of the skin was a thing. And so James said, no, I have not seen that. Um, Let's just park it go to the GP on Monday. So we carried on the weekend. We did all the remembrance services. And um, and on the Monday morning, James, I was kind of thinking, oh, it'll be nothing. But James looked at me and said, go to the GP, won't you? And I thought, well, yeah, I will. So I did. And that's, that's how it all started. And what kind of breast cancer were you diagnosed with? Um, I was diagnosed with, it was triple positive, Um, so all the hormones um, it reacted to it was um, uh, a non-disclosed type which I think is quite a common one Um, a multifocal so I had three types of breast cancer so the the non-disclosed type a multifocal breast cancer which means that it pops up everywhere like weeds so the loads of different lumps those are the first two types that they found initially When I had the mastectomy, they found a third type of breast cancer, which was a a tubular. And now they were all different grades. So one of them was grade three, one was grade two, and the final one was grade one. Um, So I didn't even know that there was more than one type of breast cancer. So that was a bit of a... And I've never heard before of one woman having three types of breast cancer. How many... How many tumours was was that? Was that were tumours a thing? Yeah, well, it was interesting because when I went to my surgeon um, and he drew a picture of my breasts and started sort of saying where the um, tumours were, he said there are three over here, there are three over there, there are a couple over here behind the nipple. There's, and then he kind of stopped after twelve. He went and there's some more. So oh I was word. riddled with it, which is and. Unbelievable, and apparently I'd had it for about two years. I think um, that had been going for some time, and I had no idea that it was growing inside me. So at that point, I said, "Can you just get it off? Just get it off." But I had to wait. In terms of your treatment, then you've talked about a mastectomy. You mentioned chemo at the beginning of our conversation. Mm. How did you find that kind of treatment, and what about the side effects? Hmm. Um, I couldn't wait to start, to be honest, because I just wanted to get it you know, get on top of it, get it gone. The quicker I started the chemo, the quicker they could do the mastectomy because I had chemo first, yes. then a mastectomy. So I just wanted to get to that point where it was off. So I felt the cancer had gone. Um, the chemo started just before Christmas, 21. And I think it was the 21st of December was my first date. And that was, I didn't know what to expect, had absolutely no clue. And it did knock me sideways. I was very sick. I was quite ill, wasn't I? I was on the floor, couldn't walk. It was horrible. 
And then it would slowly wear off, but it would leave me with other things like my mouth completely ulcerated. Um, so I couldn't speak. Uh, my fingernails, oh, they're all dead. They're still dead now. My toenails, some of them fell off. Uh, my face ballooned. I was covered in hives. Obviously, all my hair fell out. Uh, what other things happened? Oh, my nose, I had nosebleeds. They were just constant. There was always something happening. But it was quite interesting because every time I had a chemo infusion, I'd be wondering what's going to happen next. What are my side effects going to be this time around? Although horrific, it was still quite interesting. Um, now, that, that, that is an interesting adjective to use about the side effects yeah. of chemo. Interesting. When you're seeing your wife in that kind of, how should we describe it? In, in being really sick, actually. Um, I don't know if you felt actually you weren't ill with cancer. It was the treatment that makes you ill. When you see your wife going through that, dragging yourself out of bed and, and feeling the pain and the, 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 the nausea and so on, what, what is that like for you? Oh, well, it's, it's, it is horrible. And anyone that's, anyone that's had someone that they love ill, and, and I think a lot of people go through it with their children. When your children are ill, it's so heartbreaking um and 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 but it's on another level when um when it was Susie and the other thing that again I hadn't really got my head around until until I looked back at that time was yeah when one of your kids are ill and 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 you and they're you know and they're going through something and you can't just take it away in most circumstances if it's you know flu or a stomach bug or something you know it's going to you know it's going to stop and you can give them that reassurance but the I mean, the truth is with Susie's treatment we both knew I knew that it was going to go off for months um and and your reaction to that first dose was I mean it was brutal you at one point Susie was literally crawling on her hands and knees from our bedroom to the bathroom to be sick and um and I remember thinking, I don't know if I can deal with this. Really? Yeah. I, or I, seeing your loved one in that state of distress. Yeah. Um, and again, it's one of those things, there's a massive difference between knowing it, knowing it's going to happen, and experiencing it. Um, and I know a lot of people, in a very nice way, say, oh, in many respects, it's harder for the partner. That's bollocks. I mean, it really is. Like, and like, <laughs> I know it's all about the blokes, but um, but no, that I, I really, I mean, I, 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 I struggled because I could see how much it was hurting Susie. And, and the other thing, the really weird thing was, I mean, it wasn't even consistent. You, you, you seem to have a different mix of side effects each round. And so I'd get myself psychologically ready for, right, okay, we'll, we'll get the logistics about Susie being sick. We'll make sure we got you know, plastic bowl by the bed so she didn't have to crawl to the bathroom. And then suddenly, you know, it wasn't sickness, it was mouth ulcers. I'm like, oh, well, the bowl's useless. I now need to go. Okay. Oh, it's horrible. And it just, it just kept changing. During that treatment, what was your, can you remember what your lowest point was? Because you know at the back of your head, this treatment is going to make you better. Mm. But while you're going through it, it's pretty horrific. Mm. What was your lowest point, would you say, Susie? I remember one particular day, I mean, that it really hit me. 
and I was really sad. I mean, I'd had some horrors like James has described, but this day I I had a list of a four piece of paper. I'd written a list of all the things that were affecting me. And I just thought, I, I can't, I can't keep doing this. I need them to stop. So I rang my breast care team and I said, look, I've got this, 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 help me. And they said, we've got good news. I was like, oh, what is it? They said, could, we, could, we, can, we can stop them all. We can give you medication for all of these things. All of the side effects. All the side effects. So the mouth ulcers, I mean, I could hardly speak. I couldn't even hold a glass of water next to my lip, let alone drink it. Um, it, it was horrific. My, my fingers hurt. I had MRSA. Um, I had an infection under my thumb, so it hurt to touch anything. Um, my face was was swollen like a balloon, covered in infected hives. Um, it was just horrible. My stomach hurt. I was, you know, having diarrhea. I, I wasn't being sick, but I felt sick. So the, sorry, the MRSA you presumably picked up in, in, hospital. in hospital. Yeah. I couldn't walk very well because my, my, my feet hurt so much. My toes, the balls of my, everything. It was just horrific. And I got to the point where I just didn't want to do it anymore. I was, help. And this lady on the phone said all the right things. She said, don't worry, Mrs. Cleverly, we can give you medication. So they, they, they sent me creams for my face, um, this stuff that I could rinse my mouth out, out with. She told me where I could get other medications from the pharmacy. So I sent one of the kids to go and do that. And sure enough, you know, it wasn't going to be instant like that. Start taking the medication and it will all ease. And it did within a couple of days my face started to feel a bit better. I mean, it took a while. That that didn't really go for the whole six months that I was on chemo. Um, but when you say, you said to the, the breast care team, I can't do this anymore, were you genuinely thinking, I'm going to have to stop chemo? Or is that just the emotion bursting out of you when you pick up the phone? Yeah, it was the emotion bursting. Right. I was always going to carry on because I knew you I had to. Live. And I, yeah, yeah, exactly. But I, it was just that day I couldn't, I just wanted, I just needed somebody to tell me, don't worry, it's, a, it's not just you and we can do something. And this lady was brilliant. She said everything I needed to hear. And then I was sent all the medication and I went down to my GP, I think, actually. And again, my GP was amazing. She said all the things I needed to hear. I just think I needed a bit of a hug. And, 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 and that's what I got, really, a verbal hug. And that was perfect. And then I was back on, I can do this, it's fine. I'll, I'll be all right. And I was. I mean, it was still up and down all, all the way, but that they really helped me. Your sister was diagnosed with breast cancer. Yes. Where did that come in relation to your diagnosis? I was diagnosed in November 21. She was diagnosed, I think it was February 22. So she went and had a mammogram on the back of, back of me and not expecting to find anything. And she had grade one tubular breast cancer, the same breast cancer they found, the third one they found in me. And am I right in saying that your mum had breast cancer? Yeah, which is weird because I'd kind of almost forgotten that. It's a long time ago. Yeah, so how old, were you when, could, you, how old were you when your mum was diagnosed? Teens, mm. right? No, you weren't. No, it wasn't. How Versus. old was I? Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were, we were together. Oh, split the difference. Twenties. We were married or going out. 
Uh, we're just closing the windows here in the uh, Foreign Secretary's um, glorious office because there's a bit of building work outside, so you might be able to hear the windows closing and hopefully, whatever that noise is, getting a little bit quieter. So it's interesting that you you, you can't remember the, the time when your mum was diagnosed, which is either a good thing or a bad thing, but she got through it. Yeah. Um, so mum... Mum, uh, yeah, I th- again, it's one of those things, you, you, you do the maths. I think it, w- it was whilst we were together and it was, um, so it would have been, so it would have been 90s. 2000, early 2000s. I used to go and visit your mum. She used to go and have radiotherapy daily. I think she had it oh, for yeah. a week. Yeah. And I offered yeah. to take her, but she had transplant. <laughs> and so I used to go and visit, you were working, I had the kids, so... So I, I can see what I've done there. I've just, again, I've, I've, I've kind of mentally parked it. But she recovered. Yeah. You know, she had, she had a mastectomy. Uh, and mum being mum, it was, yeah, her view was like, nah, I don't need reconstruction. She went, she went the rest of her life um, with, with, without having a uh, breast reconstructed. And she, you know, she had, she had padding mm-hmm. to, 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 to kind of give that yeah, visual balance when she dressed. But she, I mean, she, um, yeah, she was fine. And, 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 you know, she, she was a smoker. And in the end, it was a, a chest infection, sadly, that uh, there was the reason she passed away. But she, I mean, she, had a, she made a complete, yeah, complete she, recovery. She was just so buoyant. Mm. She was so, she was so, it, it didn't get her down at all. Um, and she showed me her scar when she'd had her mastectomy. And I think maybe she was so casual about it. That may have helped me not worry so much because she was so laid back and Yeah, and she had radio she didn't have chemo. No, she didn't. So she she didn't have the kind of she didn't have those kind of side effects. And again, um and I think it was mum's and she was uh, a West African woman um of that generation. And it was and she was very much in the whole kind of like stuff happens, you deal with it, you get on, you don't make it other people's problems and that kind of stuff. And she was, I wanna say blase about it, but I think because some of the, the, the most obvious physical manifestations of, of of chemotherapy she didn't go through, it wasn't one of those big milestone things, which is ridiculous when you say it out loud. Your mother getting breast cancer is not How is, old is she? Well, look, I got the maths wrong as to how old I was. So what hope have I got? Um... She was in her 50s. Right. When we met in the summer, Susie, you told me about some issues potentially with your heart as a result of the treatment. Can you explain that to our listeners? Yeah, I um, noticed. So I, after having my mastectomy, they found this um, live cancer in my breast in the lab. So they put me onto this immunotherapy. And the immunotherapy, I understand, is what caused it. I think I'm right in saying. And I caused noticed, what, sorry? Um, caused what I noticed next. And that was palpitations. I suddenly felt my heart was like pounding out of my chest. I thought, oh my gosh, this is not right. And I felt my pulse. My pulse was doing all sorts of crazy things. So the next oncology appointment I had I mentioned it to my oncologist and said my heart just feels a bit strange so they they said right we'll do an ECG and there they found my heart was you know I had lots of extra beats um 
And so then I was referred to a cardiologist. And he put me on um, a couple of drugs to, to make my heart better. Basically, the drug was affecting my heart. So they've got, I'm on one drug that's protecting my heart from the drug and another drug that is trying to fix the problem that the, 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 the immunotherapy has Understood. created. So I started that probably about a year ago, and I'll be, be on it until January, I believe. Are so you worried about ongoing. it, or are you, you, they're managing it, it's yeah, going to be fine? I'm not worried about it. I feel much better now. Um, so I think, you know, they're, they're, they know what they're doing, so I just let them do their thing. How do you view, you talked about Mark, your, um, Susie's oncologist a little earlier, but how do you view the staff you came across who treated you with their skill and expertise and compassion in the NHS as a result of this experience, both of you? Absolutely incredible. Unbelievable. Every step of the way, they have been amazing. I can't fault them at all. I think they are brilliant. The things that they can do and to save my life is just, you know, I have so much. It's actually really quite... Um, emotional because basically they saved my life and um how they do it it blows my mind what they can do and and the surgeons who created my new breast as well what they've done is brilliant the whole lot you're much more eloquent than me you say it (laughs) no no i mean you but my mother was a a midwife uh, in the nhs so i was literally born and brought up in the nhs i used to do my homework on her desk at Lewisham Hospital. Did you? Because it was, you know, I'd go, I'd, I'd go to there when she was on a late shift. I'd go there, and and do my do my homework. So, so I've always, I've always, you know, been in and around the NHS. So I was unsurprised that they are are excellent. The NHS on the really serious stuff is excellent, and I'm not, you know, I'm a politician. I'm not, I'm not going to say the NHS is perfect because no organization is perfect but you know they are amazing and when it's the really serious stuff they are off the chart amazing and I'm, I'm always very very conscious of how many different experts so to about the oncologist the surgery team the uh the team that did the the, the mammograms Cardiologists, the 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 um, Radi- plastics team, the radiolo- radiologists, the, oh, radiologists just, they always feel they get missed radi- out. Exactly. They do, yeah, yeah, yeah they yeah. do. Yes, um, they were brilliant. And uh, uh, the anaesthetists. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, there is an army of people, top, top, top draw, and uh, and nurses, and 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 the thing that really, as I say, really, really reassuring, is just that. The normalness of it, which I know is a stupid thing to say, because of course this is what they do, and just as you know, my job is the job that I do, and I do it regularly, and therefore that normalises what for many people are, are kind of you know unusual or unique circumstances. But 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 the 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 technical stuff that they do, the technical stuff that they do, um, let's say really calmly, really professionally. Is 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 fantastic. So it's a reminder. I mean, it, okay, it was not news to me, cause, but it was a it was a reminder about uh, uh, 
I mean, about this genuinely amazing institution. How has this cancer diagnosis changed you two, would you say? I think for me, it's just made me look at life very differently. I go out and grab, you know, say yes to more things and no to things if I don't want to do them. Um, made me appreciate appreciate life a lot more, actually, um, and spend as much time with my family as possible. And they're all about to leave me because they're going to university. <laughs> That's ironic. <laughs> how, did, how did they how have they cope with the last two years? I think one is your older son is twenty one. Yeah, your younger one is eighteen. Eighteen, about to be nineteen. Yes. Um, obviously, it's really it's been hard for them. Freddie was away at uni, so um, I always thought it's easier for him because he wasn't there. Rupert, the poor chap, he um, he um, you know he looked after me quite a bit when James was out of the country. Rupert would come home from school. I'd be in bed. He'd be running around bringing me water, food, um, and picking me up off the floor. So he, I think, he did suffer quite a bit with, with watching his, his mum being but ill. Also, from what you've just described, he also stepped up. Yeah, he did. Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. Um, I think they're relieved to see me, you know, with hair and running around a bit more than I was before. Can I ask you how you would say your relationship, your approach to the rest of your life has changed because of your wife's diagnosis? It's made me realise that that there there is a difference between just being around and and, and being there. Um, and that's, it's not a massive, funny enough, it's not a massive change. Superficially, it's not, is not a massive change. I mean, both uh, Liz, when she was foreign secretary, and I was one of her ministers, and uh, and, and and Rishi as prime minister, with me being one of you know, his secretaries of state. Have, so my my direct bosses throughout this have been amazing. Colleagues have been amazing, and have always said. You know, if you need time, take the time. And, and, and actually, with the exception of the short period around where you had surgery and you were really very physically incapacitated for, for a while, I've not really needed to take lots of time off. Um, but um, but, but the, the, th- the stuff that is different that I think my, my political friends and colleagues won't have seen is when I'm not with them, I'm very focused, as I say. I'm very, I'm very focused on on Susie and making the most of the, of of what we do do together. And as I say, it's the real discipline. There's less, there's less kind of mush in the middle where kind of work seeps into private life, and and therefore you're kind of you're slightly always. Um, and that's a real politician's vice that we never really stop working. And I'm now better at, at, at saying, actually, for this period of time, even if it's only short, this is this is what my focus is. We are very lucky, though, and we should thank our family and friends who allowed you to carry on doing your work because oh, yeah, we had a, an absolutely. amazing network around us, friends cooking, staying over. When he was abroad, I'd have my mother, my sister, my best friends would come and stay and look after me. So I always had somebody with me. Um, friends would drop parcels of food at the door, friends would garden, um, all sorts of things, didn't we? We were really, yeah. really lucky. Yeah. And the funny thing and is... And how do you 
to carry on. Yeah, and it's um, so. What you say this is very practical. One of the things I would say to anyone listening who has someone that they know or love going through it is that a, a lot of the offers of support are kind of front-loaded. And the thing with the chemo or recovering from surgery is it tends to be back-loaded. So although Susie had horrible um, side effects after the first round of chemo, it, it's cumulative because obviously she doesn't fully recover before the next round. So it just keeps getting harder and harder and harder. And the people who quite, quite understandably and wonderfully really want to help out when you first hear that there's a cancer diagnosis, sometimes you want to say, this is really good. Can you, can you just take a ticket and maybe give it six months and, th- and then lean in? Because at the moment, we've got, we've got more lasagna in our freezer than we need at the moment. <laughs> but it might be really helpful if you could just maybe come back and 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 do like really really boring stuff later on sure that's really good advice Susie let me ask you finally for people listening for couples who might be listening right now about to go through this what what would you say to them I would say well I would say take each moment as it comes just because it's so difficult to look at the bigger picture break it down into smaller, smaller pieces, just baby steps, baby little moments, and then it's much easier to get through that. That's how I, I mean, everybody's different. Of course. Um, But that's what I would suggest makes it easier to cope with if you just break it down. Thank you both very, very much. Thank you for being so open. Um, I really appreciate it. Our listeners will really appreciate it. And then Came Breast Cancer is brought to you by the Future Dreams Breast Cancer Charity, which provides practical, emotional and psychological support for anyone diagnosed with the disease. It's a factory original and six foot six production. Thank you both. Thank you. Thank Thank you. you. Our podcast is intended to be a message of support for everyone who has been touched by breast cancer. And that's why our guests share their personal and unique stories with you. They express their personal opinions, which don't necessarily reflect those of Future Dreams or our sponsors. Our guests' individual stories do not constitute medical advice and shouldn't be treated in any way as a substitute for professional expertise or a consultation with healthcare professionals. This podcast is not offering to treat your cancer, but it is trying to help by talking about it. So hopefully you realise that you are not alone.